Let's go ahead and take our Bibles and go to Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2. And this is a portion of Scripture we normally associate with Christmas time because it talks about the Lord Jesus Christ, his birth. And yet there's several stories, of course, within the story. I want to talk to you about one of those this morning. We're going to start in verse 21 just to give ourselves a little bit of context here. And when eight days were accomplished for the circumcising of the child, his name was called Jesus, which was so named of the angel before he was conceived in the womb. I I got thinking that, you know, couples always try to pick out names, but uh, Joseph and Mary didn't have that option, did they? The name was given to them. And the Bible says in verse 22, and when the days of her purification, according to the law of Moses, were accomplished... They brought him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male that openeth the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. And to offer a sacrifice according to that which is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. And by way of explanation, uh, what this amounts to is when, um, when a woman had... Uh, a girl, she was considered unclean for a certain amount of time. If she had a boy, she was unclean for a certain amount of time. And uh, the boy would be circumcised after seven days, but she would be unclean for a total of 40 days. And then when all of that was over, then they would come and offer an offering, and, and that was involved in this cleansing for her to be declared uh, clean once again. And I won't try to go into all the reasons for that. We don't have the time. But uh, you'll notice here what they offered, and uh, what indicates there in verse 24 is that they were, they were poor, because that offering was based on your ability, and in their particular case, they were, they were bringing the, the minimal offering required by the law. And the Bible says in verse 25, and behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and the same man was just and devout waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Ghost was upon him. And I think it's interesting to point out here, you know, we think of Israel's rejection of Christ, but not everybody in Israel rejected Christ, okay? There were a lot of faithful that were grieved by what their religious leaders did in teaming up with, with, with Rome to have Christ crucified. And who knows what that number was, and and who knows what the tipping point in God's mind was. Uh, Scripture indicates it was the leadership that led them down the wrong wrong road. Say that ten times fast. Um, It was their leadership that led them down the wrong road. There were faithful believers, and these are some of them here in the story. Uh, Verse 26, it was revealed unto him by the Holy Ghost that he should not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came by the Spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus for to do for him after the custom of the law, then took he him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now lettest thou thy servant depart in peace uh, according to thy word. Um, That would be sort of our equivalent of saying, okay, I can die now. See, I can die now. I've seen what I want to see. I've experienced what I wanted to experience. And here's a man who just lived to see the Messiah, and he knew this was the Messiah. 
the hope of Israel. Verse 30, for mine eyes have seen thy salvation, which thou hast prepared before the face of all people, a light to lighten the Gentiles and the glory of thy people Israel. And Joseph and his mother marveled at those things which were spoken of him. Now, you, you see little references like verse 33 throughout the Gospels, especially in the early life of the Lord Jesus Christ. And remember something. I mean, Mary was told what this was all about by the angel, you know, right, right after conception. And, uh, you know, Joseph had an understanding of these things. But, you know, still it was pretty overwhelming uh, as, as, they, as this unfolded. And this was just, you know, another chapter in all of this. And Joseph and, and, and Mary are marveling at those things that are spoken of, of, of their very son. And then the Bible says in verse 34, And Simeon blessed them and said unto Mary his mother, Behold, this child is set for the fall and rising again of many in Israel, and for a sign which shall be spoken against. And then verse 35, this is interesting, Yea, a sword shall pierce through thy own soul also, that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. And uh, I've often thought, and we, we talked about this around Mother's Day, the ordeal that Mary went through when uh, Christ was crucified was certainly a part of, of this right here in verse 35. Now, this is what I want to focus on is verses 36 through 38. And this character here, her name is Anna. She's an older lady, and she's a prophetess. She is a female prophet. And the Bible says in verse 36, And there was one Anna, a prophetess, the daughter of Phanuel, of the tribe of Asher. She was of great age and had lived with an husband seven years from her virginity. Now, um, she's a widow, and what it looks like is she was married for seven years. Now, keep in mind, uh, the girls in this time uh, could be married as young as 12, and 14 wasn't uncommon. In fact, most commentators think that Mary was 13, 14, 15, somewhere in there. And uh, so she was married only seven years before her husband died, and she was widowed. And then the Bible says in verse 30, 37, and she was a widow of about fourscore and four years. So I take it she was 84 years old. She was 84 years old and, of course, married very young, uh, probably in her middle teens somewhere. So figures somewhere in her early 20s, likely, she was widowed. And so for all of these years since then, she has, she has lived a widow. And by the way, 84 was very old for that day and age. Our life expectancy is somewhere in that range in our country, give or take. But uh, this was very unusual. So she was, she was very elderly, and she had been a widow a long time. And the Bible says she departed not from the temple, verse 37, but served God with fastings and prayers night and day. And she coming in that instant gave thanks likewise unto the Lord and spake to him of all them that looked for redemption in Jerusalem. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, in these few moments that we have together remaining, uh, we pray, Lord, that you would uh, take these words and just apply them to our hearts and minds, uh, encourage us in, in, our, in our growth and our relationship with you. And Father, 
the example of this gal, some very simple yet profound and important characteristics of her. Uh, Lord, may we be uh, instructed through this and encouraged. And uh, Father, we, we pray as always for anyone who might not know you, who might be with us here in the building or looking in online, that they might come to know Christ as their personal Savior today. For it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. So when I look at this lady here, I believe I'm looking at God's faithful servant. God's faithful servant. And uh, all we know about her is what these three verses tell us, but I believe it tells us plenty. First of all, if you look at verses 36 and 37, she served cooperatively. She served cooperatively. You say, what do you mean by that? Well, uh, it's an old expression, but she bloomed where she was planted. Uh, God is sovereign. God is sovereign, folks. And I think uh, if, you, if you go far enough down the road of life, you, you find that out. Uh, Napoleon was once overheard by one of the noble women that was in his court uh, bragging. He said, I propose and I dispose. This was at the height of his power. And uh, this gal was a Christian, and she says, uh, uh, correction, my Lord. She says, you propose, but God disposes. And we have all found that out in our lives. Uh, sometimes we have plans and ideas, and uh, God sometimes has other plans and other ideas. Uh, this gal, if you look at verse 36, she was of great age. She was of great age. Well, if you live long enough, that's inevitable, amen? When my kids were young teenagers and they'd start, you know, making fun of my, uh, my, my wife or I or both of us about being, uh, being older, um, I would say, well, <laughs> if you should live so long, <laughs> I always preface what I'm going to say, by if you should live so long. And um, she didn't have as much energy, but she had, she had something that she didn't have when she was younger, and that is wisdom. That is wisdom. Uh, if you want to know how far our culture has drifted from the Word of God, just read the book of Proverbs and look at the premium that God puts on the wisdom of experience, and then look at our culture and watch it worship at the shrine of youth. Now, folks, I'm, I'm good with youth. I like young people. And believe it or not, I was one at one time. I really was. And I've told you before, when I was younger, I think subconsciously, I just thought there were young people and old people, and that's the way it was, uh, not really uh, tracking the fact that all old people have been young and all young people will be old if they should live so long. And uh, I think in our, in our current culture, uh, one of the reasons we see uh, so much uh, stupidity afoot is it, it, it just falls right into that old sad saying that the only thing that men learn from history is what? They never learn from history. And uh, there's just this uh, diminishing of the wisdom of age and experience and the exaltation of, uh, of the lack of experience, frankly. Uh, I look at the Apostle Paul. He, was, he called himself aged when he wrote the book of Philemon. I remember our first pastor, Craig Massey, uh, at the age of 72, after he had pastored, or retired from pastoring uh, the church in Des Plaines, Illinois, we, 
we met up with him in a camp in Montana, and uh, he was still preaching there. Uh, Moses started his ministry at 80. Aaron was 83. Aaron was 83. A guy said one time, he said, if you keep moving, they can't bury you. <laughs> I saw a bumper sticker one time. Uh, I, I wish I could find one. I'd buy it and stick it on my truck. It says, getting old is not for sissies. Uh, take your Bibles and go to Joshua chapter 13. And let me show you one of the most remarkable things God ever said about this subject when he was talking to Joshua. And it's found in Joshua chapter 13. And in verse 1, the Bible says, Now Joshua, well, I love the king's English here. Joshua was old and stricken in years. <laughs> Did you ever get up in the morning and just feel stricken in years? <laughs> I like what, what Doc Gipp said one time. He said, uh, as, as you get older, he says, your body's trying to kill you all night. <laughs> and the Bible says, now Joshua was old and stricken in years. Now, you'd think the next thing he would say is, okay, now, just take it easy. Find yourself a rocking chair and a cup of coffee and uh, a nice sunrise or sunset to observe and, you know, just, uh, uh, just slowly fade away. That's what you would think, but it's not what he says. Now Joshua was old and stricken in years, and the Lord said unto him, Thou art old and stricken in years, and what? There remaineth yet very much land to be possessed. If you're older here this morning, there remaineth yet very much land to be possessed. Read the life of some of the greatest missionaries in, in the history of missions. Uh, C.T. Studd uh, may have done his greatest work when he went to his third continent in a lifetime at a, at a, at a, very, at a very ripe age for missionaries. In fact, no mission board uh, would take him or sponsor him, and he grabbed a young man and uh, just headed into the bush straight to the heart of Africa, and, uh, and, and, and honestly, that's probably the work that he's most uh, known for, was the work that he did in, in, his, in his later years. Uh, I believe, given the Bible's emphasis, I believe society's treatment of elderly people is an insult. Uh, you know, put them on the little bus, uh, drive them around, and let them see some sights and die. Amen? Yeah. You know what? Uh, I think God gave you all that wisdom for a reason. Uh, don't keep it to yourself. Don't quit serving the Lord. Yes, your vocation may change. Your circumstances may change. You may not have the physical and uh, mental energy you once had, but you have something to impart to the next generation. And smile while you're doing it. Don't look so sad. So young people just don't want to know anything. Maybe it's because you look like a grouch. Amen. Smile. And young people, older people got something to say. Older people got something to say. Alfred Lord Tennyson put it this way. He said, though much is taken, much abides. And though we are not now that strength which in old days moved earth and heaven, that which we are, we are, one equal temper of heroic hearts, made weak by time and fate, but strong in will, to strive, to seek, to find, and not to yield. Do you know what? You're never too old to serve the Lord, and you're never too young to serve the Lord. I was looking at that uh, nursery appreciation um, 
uh, sign-up list and everything. And uh, I'm glad we got uh, as young as 10-year-old little girls are able to go into the nursery and, and, and serve with some, uh, with some help uh, from the older ladies. I think that's a wonderful thing, don't you? I think that's a good thing. And, uh, you know, when God called Jeremiah, Jeremiah complained, I'm too young. But, uh, and, 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 you know, Moses could have, uh, could have complained he was uh, too old. I'm surprised he didn't try that one. But uh, you're never too young and you're never too old. Um, here's another thing. If you look at verse 37, you, you look at her bereavement. And I say she, she served cooperatively. In other words, it didn't matter her circumstances in life. She still served. And by the way, that's all we can do, folks. That's all we can do. Uh, when you're younger, you can't serve as someone that's older. When you're older, you can't serve as someone that's younger. Uh, your, your circumstances are what they are. And so often, so often we worry and stress uh, because of our circumstances, but the reality of it is uh, we can't do a lot about a lot of things. That's what Jesus was referencing in the Sermon on the Mount when he talked about uh, the, 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 uh, the flowers not toiling and spinning and, and, and the birds, God takes care of them. And, and you think of how dumb a bird is and God still takes care of them. And the reality of it is there's a lot of our circumstances we cannot control. And if you look at verse 37, uh, she was a widow. She was a widow. And I got thinking about this the other day. As a young bride, as a young bride, she had her plans, she had her hopes, and she had her dreams. But I don't think that any of them included being married for seven years and then being widowed. Amen? I mean, I, I sincerely doubt that. And, and yet, that's what happened. That's what happened. And, and what the Bible seems to indicate, well, she was what, what Paul would call in 1 Timothy chapter 5, uh, a widow indeed. And, and the Bible has a lot to say. God's care for widows and uh, for us to uh, be careful in our treatment of them. Widows and orphans, God has a special place in his heart for them. But you look at her, and what it looks like is that even though uh, many of her dreams and hopes and plans were, were shattered through this, um, she still served faithfully. And I've seen more Christians shipwrecked through, through disappointment, uh, through disillusionment, and I call it the three C's, career, call, and children. And, and we get our hearts broken in certain areas. And what did she do? Uh, she served cooperatively. She served cooperative, cooperatively. She served uh, as a widow, and she served uh, faithfully. She, she took her difficulties, and instead of, instead of dwelling on the why, she, she dwelled on, on the what. She emphasized the what. And, and I believe the what was, what can I do now uh, under my circumstances? And, and her service was so faithful her service was so faithful that, that God mentions her right here in, in connection with, the, with, with the, the advent of our Lord Jesus Christ. And um, don't misunderstand, I, I am not minimizing or diminishing any of this. Um, bereavement, health, career, children, call, disappointments, 
They can happen in our lives. And a lot of times we can be saying with Job in Job chapter 23, when he said, even today is my complaint bitter. He said, my stroke is heavier than my groaning. He said, oh, that I might know where I might find him, that I might even come to his seat. I would order my cause before him and fill my mouth with arguments. Have you ever been there before? You ever been there before with the Lord? And I'm sure she was at one point. But eventually, she settled in on serving cooperatively. Now, now folks, every once in a while, <laughs> and hopefully not more than a time or two each day, uh, I'll start grousing about something, and, and then I'll catch myself, and I'll say to myself, <laughs> that's an American problem. That's an American problem. Uh, how about you're going through the drive-thru and it just is going at a snail's pace and you're in a hurry? Big deal, huh? <laughs> but sometimes we make a big deal out of it, don't we? Yeah. And uh, I, I, like to, I like to just remind myself a lot of times that uh, uh, sometimes as Christians, we grouse about problems that really aren't that serious and we get the wounded soldier syndrome. It's kind of like the little kids with the owies. You know, when they're little and they got an owie and they come to show you an owie and, and where is it? And you're, you're, I mean, you can't even see it. And, uh, and, and, and uh, sometimes they insist on, on, on throwing a Band-Aid on there because they're sure they have an owie. I think that's sometimes how we are. But some things are real. And this bereavement was real. And yet she did not allow it to keep her from serving the Lord. She could have, she could have said, uh, she could have gotten bitter, and she could have decided she's not going to serve the Lord, and, um, but she went on for the Lord. I, I remember a lady in our church back in Pennsylvania, and she, she rarely got to come to church. She had, uh, it wasn't osteoarthritis, it was uh, rheumatoid arthritis, and it was really, really severe, and she was only in her, her mid to late 40s, uh, as I recall. Carol, remember Josephine Kaplan? Remember her? And we'd go and visit her in her little trailer that she lived out in the woods, and we would go to visit her, and she, she had a, uh, she had a, a bed right, right in, the, in the living room of that trailer, and she was bedridden most of the time, and we'd go see her and, and talk with her, and, and you know, we got such a blessing from her because she was always so uplifting, and she was in constant pain, but, and she said more than once, she said, preacher, I, I can't make it to church uh, very much, I, I can hardly get out, she said, but, but, I, but I can pray. I can pray. And, uh, and, and I knew that when I was preaching at Grace Independent Baptist Church in Shalakta, Pennsylvania, uh, that, that she was always praying while I was preaching. Whether it was Sunday school, morning service, evening service, Wednesday night, she would pray the entire time. If I preached away in a conference, she'd want to know where I was going to be and when I was going to be praying. And uh, she didn't let her, her pain and the debilitating condition that she had uh, stop her from serving. I say she served uh, cooperatively. She served cooperatively. And then next, if you look at verse 37, if you look at verse 37, she served invisibly. She served with fastings and prayers. Fastings and prayers. I was talking to somebody the other day, and I've come to the conclusion that if we really understood 
the total value of prayer. Uh, take your Bibles and go to Ephesians 3. And I want you to look at Ephesians 3, and you're going to see why I cannot exaggerate the statement I'm about to make. Ephesians 3, and look at verse 20. Ephesians 3, verse 20. And, and, and this verse underscores the reason that you cannot overvalue prayer. Certain things are overvalued, but you cannot overvalue prayer. Now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we what? Ask. Or what? Think. Not just the things you dared to ask. Not just the things you took the time to bring to the throne of grace, but those things that you thought of now, I, 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 things you didn't even have the faith to even give it a try. He's able to do exceeding abundantly above all of that. Uh, I have a sneaking suspicion that when we get to heaven, I'm going to find out that uh, a good portion of my service for him was probably wasted energy, and I would have been more in the way of success and accomplishing things if I would have just taken some of that time that I used to basically accomplish a sweat ring, under a dried sweat ring under my armpit when it was all said and done, and got down on my knees and just prayed and brought it to the Lord. Have you ever had that suspicion? And the Bible says she served with prayers and fasting. She served invisibly. Someone once said, those who serve well visibly are those who serve best invisibly. We think of prayer. Jesus talked about asking. Then he talked about seeking. Then he talked about knocking. Asking, seeking, knocking. Asking is casual. Seeking is a little more urgent. And knocking is extremely urgent. God wants us to bring things to him in prayer. And there are no menial jobs in God's work. We're talking about our, our, our nursery ministry, our, our, our nursery crew. Uh, I was thinking the other day of, of the, the guys that format uh, the Sunday morning services to put them on the radio. There is hardly a, a, a month that goes by where I don't bump into somebody somewhere, and it usually goes something like this. I'll be in a store, and I'll be talking to my wife, and someone will turn around in the line and say, are you on the radio? <laughs> they just recognize my voice, and, and I'll say yes. And then they'll talk about what a blessing that radio ministry is to them. And you know what? I don't have much to do with it. We got other guys that are, are, are in back rooms listening and formatting and on the computer and putting intros and outtakes. And we got guys doing intros and outtakes and all that good stuff. And, and you know what? In the background, unseen, it was my voice they recognized but they would have never recognized my voice except for those that served invisibly. And, and, and so it is. I, I think of Joseph when he was sold into Egypt. He was so invisible to those back home that everybody thought he was dead. And yet God was using him in a great way. Uh, number three, take a look at verse 37. She served continually, night and day, for years and years and years. Someone once said, it's not how you start, 
but it's how you finish. The owner threw a goose that had been run over and crushed by a car into an oil drum. For years, the gander, that goose's mate, never went more than 10 feet away from that oil drum. Yes, that gander kept watch by the drum until it died seven years later. Make an investment in the work of God. The Bible says, or ministry, let us wait on our ministering. On he that teacheth on teaching. A Welsh postman had the British Empire Medal conferred upon him by Queen Elizabeth. He had not missed a day's service in 48 years. Of course, famously, Thomas Edison made 18,000 experiments before he perfected what he called at that time the arc light. At another time, after 50 failures on a project, he said, I have found a 50th way that it cannot be done. You want a good marriage? Make an investment in it. You want a good ministry? Make an investment in it. You want to be a blessing to people? Make an investment in them. You want to love your church? Make an investment in your church. You want to love your Lord? Make an investment in him. George Mueller prayed for 52 years for a certain man to come to Christ. After 52 years, the man came to Christ as his Savior. A Christian once tried to visit an elderly man 21 times on 21 different occasions before being admitted, but then he befriended the man and eventually led him to the Lord Jesus Christ. A shepherd once came to the city of Edinburgh from the country. He had a small dog with him. While there, he died and was buried in Edinburgh. That little dog lay upon its master's grave, not for a day, a week, or a month, but for a full 12 years. Every day at 1 o'clock, a gun was fired in the castle of Edinburgh. When the gun was fired, the dog would run to the local baker, who would give it food and water. Then back to the grave he would go. This continued until the dog died 12 years later. I want you to notice also in verse 8 something else about this lady. She served thankfully. She served thankfully. For in verse 38 we read, And she coming in that instant gave thanks likewise unto the Lord and spake of him to all them that look for redemption in Jerusalem. Do you know what? I, I think sometimes we get the mistaken idea that joy should produce thankfulness. It's really the other way around. Thankfulness produces joy. The Bible says, In everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. Learn to give thanks, learn to praise, and that will produce joy in your heart. I, I believe this. Most of us have twice the family we deserve most of us have twice the church we deserve. Most of us have twice the job we deserve. Most of us have twice the marriage we deserve. Amen? I married way over my head, guys. And I'm sure many of you uh, would acknowledge the same. The Bible says, Be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God, and the peace of God which passeth understanding all understanding shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. D.L. Moody one time said of that verse, be careful for nothing, be prayerful for everything,
Be thankful for anything. Uh, I would encourage you ladies, when the ladies' Bible study starts up again in the fall, I would encourage you to go, if for no other reason, just to be around my wife and let some of that thankful spirit rub off on you. You ladies that go to that Bible study, I, I know the stuff she teaches because she studies at home and, and she'll share some of it with me. I'll look at her notes and stuff like that. And you ladies that go to that Bible study know invariably she's going to get around to the subject of what? Thankfulness and contentment. And folks, I don't think we can have too much of that. And I think this lady had this and she was a faithful servant and she served with contentment and she served with thankfulness. The parents of a young man who was killed in World War I gave their church a check for $200 as a memorial for their loved one. When the presentation was made, another war mother whispered to her husband, let's give the same for our boy. The father said, why? What are you talking about? Our boy didn't lose his life. And the mother said, that's just the point. Let's give it for that reason. The Bible says, enter into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. Be thankful unto him and bless his name. And lastly, if you look, if you look at our text in verse 38, the last thing I'd like you to notice is that our faithful servant here, or God's faithful servant, is, is serving boldly. She's serving boldly. The Bible says, and spake of him to all them that looked for redemption in Jerusalem. Hers was not a cloistered ministry. Don't make the mistake of thinking this lady was cloistered. Her faithfulness and consistency in her life produced a holy boldness. The Bible says, the wicked flee when no man pursueth, but the righteous are bold as a lion. Paul said, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. I must concur with what Brother Joe said about outreach opportunities and the joy and the blessing uh, that it is and what it produces in our lives. The Bible says in Acts 4, verse 13, now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were unlearned and ignorant men, they marveled and they took knowledge of them that they had been with Jesus. Don't wait until you've read all the books on apologetics. Don't wait until you think you can, you can answer every objection that an atheist might have to the faith. Don't wait for all of those things to start witnessing for Christ. Just open your mouth for Jesus, man. And you say, well, I don't know what to say. Well, just tell him what God did for you. And I'm going to tell you something right, that's, right now. That's the most airtight argument there, that, that there is. I have never one time in my life, publicly or privately, individually myself or, or someone else doing it, I've never even heard of somebody giving their testimony and having somebody go, nah, <laughs> that didn't happen. I've never even heard of it, folks. Folks, there's a verity. There's a, there is a witness to your testimony. There is truth to your testimony. Are you ready for this? That is undeniable. Now, they, they, 
they might decide that's for you and not for me and say, oh, okay, that's nice. But they're not going to be able to deny it, folks. And, and, that's, and that's the least we could do. The Bible says, let the redeemed of the Lord say so, whom he hath redeemed from the hand of the enemy. I, I've challenged you uh, even recently that e- even with gospel tracts, um, first thing is try to have some on you. That's why we got them there in the foyer. Every time you go past, there they are as a reminder. Just stick some in your pocket, guys, and gal, some in your purse. But even if you can't bring yourself to give it to somebody, just just you're somewhere in the public, wherever it is. I, uh, vending machines don't seem to be the thing anymore. Cigarette machines and stuff like that. But stick it, just, just put it somewhere where somebody will bump into it. And, and the next thing you'll know is you'll, you'll, you'll get up the courage to hand one to somebody. And then the next thing you know after time, you'll be talking to somebody about your Savior. And then you'll end up leading somebody to Christ. And I'm going to tell you something. As a Christian, for most Christians... That would be a life-transforming experience. Because, and Spurgeon said it, Spurgeon said it, uh, you read the word of God, the soul winner's crown is a crown of joy. In the book of Philippians, uh, Paul in his, uh, in, his, in his writings to the church of Thessalonica, he said, ye are our glory and our joy, our crown of rejoicing. And it'll put a joy in your heart like, like nothing else in this world will. Uh, Charles Haddon Spurgeon said at one time, he said, if I cared for nothing, nothing in this world but my own happiness and joy, he said, I would choose if I would to be, to be a, a, as a career, as a vocation, to do just this. He said, I would choose to be a soul winner. I would choose to be a soul winner. You know, and, 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 and not just from, the, from, from a selfish standpoint, what it does for me, obviously, uh, more importantly, from the standpoint of those that have not heard, um, I've, read some, I've read some books before. I remember I read a book by um, an Indian uh, national evangelist in uh, southern India. And one of the saddest things I, I remember reading in that book is he said, he said, this happens with regularity. We'll come into a village, a team of us, uh, to evangelize the village. And, and we'll say, uh, we'll start out by asking them, have you ever heard of Jesus? Do you know who Jesus is? And he said, you can't imagine how many times we'll hear this. Someone will say, well, there's no Jesus that lives here, but if you try the next village, maybe he lives there. They honestly did not know what he was talking about. Uh, folks, the reality of it is, People are going to hell. And not too long ago, I was at Franklin Building Supply, and I, I got the opportunity to witness to a guy who was about 30 years old. And uh, when we got done, he didn't get saved right there, but when, he, when we got done, he said to me in so many words that that's the first time he, he had ever heard uh, of that, uh, about being saved and, 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 and trusting Christ as his, as his personal Savior. And... Um, um, I, I remember when I was at uh, um, uh, pastor school at Hiles Anderson College back in uh, 78, 79, somewhere back there, and uh, they, had, they had let out, of course, there was like, you know, 5,000 pastors there, turned loose on the neighborhood, heading out for lunch and that during the break time. And I remember hand, handing out tracts as, as we were heading to the car, and, and on more than one occasion, <laughs> I 
<laughs> Someone went, no, no, I know what you want. You want to know if I'm saved <laughs> and, and backing off. You say, what is that? You've been witness to a lot. You've been witness to a lot. You know what I think would be nice is if, if people that get annoyed by, by being God-bothered would, would not always assume it was a Mormon. Uh, they, they wouldn't always assume it was a Jehovah Witness that knocked, their, that knocked somebody's door or a Seventh-day Adventist. How about if, if, if independent uh, Bible-believing Baptists in Meridian, Idaho get the reputation of God-bothering people? Amen? I mean, let's face it. You know, it's not, it's not going to make you the most popular person in the world with everybody, but I'm going to tell you something right now. The people that trust Christ as their Savior as a result of your witness will love you for time and for eternity. And so this lady was bold. This lady was bold. I think of that woman at the well who, who knew nothing of theology. Uh, in her conversation with the Lord, you, you could tell she was more mixed up than a termite and a yo-yo. But when it was all said and done, she ran back into town. And, and in her enthusiasm, she said, come see a man that told me all things that ever I did. Is not this the Christ? And, and what did they do? They came. I mean, they were, they were drawn by her enthusiasm. And folks, uh, like I said, you don't have to be a theologian, and uh, you don't have to be some sort of uh, apologetic philosopher and know all the arguments uh, or, or, or all the answers to all the arguments. Uh, all you got to have is a testimony and, and be willing to share it with others. So this gal served cooperatively, she served invisibly, she served continually, she served thankfully, and she served boldly. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father in heaven, uh, we thank you this morning for this story, we thank you for this lady, we thank you for this example, and uh, Father, help each and every one of us, uh, by your Holy Spirit, to receive the application in our own lives and Lord, most of all, Lord, in the end, the conclusion of the matter, her boldness and speaking up for Christ, help us, Lord, to go forth from this place. May it be said of us someday that those that have turned the world upside down are come hither as well. When they saw the boldness of Peter and John, perceived that they were learned, unlearned and ignorant men, they, they took took note, Lord, that they had been with Jesus. They had been with Jesus. Lord, we know this world is never going to accept, accept the preaching of the gospel of Christ. They're, ne they're never going to embrace it. N not this world system, not, not the religious system, not the governmental system. Father, we have such a unique thing in our country, Lord, that our rights are protected, but Still, people are going to consider it God-bothering. But Lord, you've given us a commission. You've given us a job. And you've made us ambassadors for you. And Father, help us, Lord, to tell others, to be willing to at least tell them what you did for us. Thank you for this lady's example. And we pray these things in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. Let's stand and take our hymnals. And turn to number 405, take my life, and let it be number 405. Take my life and let it be consecrated, Lord, to Thee. Take my hands and let 
Brother Smoker, would you come on up here and close us in a word of prayer? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the opportunity to be here in your house today. Lord, thank you that you saw fit in your word to give us three verses on this lady. Old lady, a lady whose life may not have been filled with all of the things that she had planned, and yet she was a tremendous woman for you. Lord, we thank you that you, in those three verses, associated with the birth of your son, the Lord Jesus Christ, show us that the ministry and ministering is not exclusively the role of uh, men, but there's a role for the ladies, the women, and the elderly to play as well. Lord, I pray that each person today might have been challenged from the word of God, from the preaching. Lord, may they seek out their role, seek out how they can talk to others. Lord, the fact that she spoke to all that looked for redemption in Jerusalem. Lord, help us to seek and to save that which was lost. Lord, I pray for those traveling today. Think of those uh, couples coming back this afternoon, given safety on the roads. And we look forward to being in your house this evening. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.